Welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, the nature-based show hosted by me, Jack Perks. Each week I'm joined by a guest from the world of wildlife television, art and science. We take a light-hearted look into what makes these people tick and connect with the natural world so strongly, with new episodes out every Tuesday. Hello, how are you all doing? I realise that I never actually ask how you're doing, although I realise that firstly, I don't overly care, sorry I don't, and you can't really reply. I mean, you could reply where I post this, but it'd be a little bit mental, wouldn't it? But for the status quo, how are you doing? I'm just starting off with something a little bit different today. Uh, we've got Sophie Pierce on the podcast. We're going to talk about what it's like being a wildlife TV researcher, all the amazing programs that she's worked in and what that goes into. But before we do that, I just want to say thank you to everyone who has supported me on buymeacoffee.com. There's a link in the description. You can chuck me free quid. If you're a regular listener, you know the spiel by now. But I wanted to just personally thank uh, some of the people who have already donated, including uh, Jan, uh, Utifo, The Passionate Piscator, Paul Turton, and many others. Uh, Turton? Totten? I can't read, as we've probably realised on this podcast already. But I just wanted to say thank you for supporting me. Every little helps, and it's greatly appreciated. I also wanted to very quickly say... Uh, a little bit about the future of the podcast and that when I started it was the first lockdown I had lots of time on my hands and I'm finding now that life is normal the new normal normal-ish and I'm struggling not struggling but it's taking up more time than I'd like so it might be the case that I start winding down the podcast and have a little bit of a break so I'm not completely stopping uh, but it might be that I have a month off might have six months off, might have a year off, I don't know. It's getting to the point where I always said if I didn't enjoy making it and it became like hard work, I'd stop doing it. So I might have a little bit of time off and come back. I'd like to get to 100 podcasts. I mean, we're on 87 at the moment. We've done more than 87, but 87 interviews. So I'll certainly do the 100 and then maybe look at having a bit of a break maybe switching up the format a little bit but I don't know let me know comment let me do you want me to carry on uh, do you want me to change things how are you liking it I've had some absolutely lovely feedback uh, fellow photographers Jules Cox and Robert Canis that mean, meant a lot to me kind of peers saying that they enjoyed the podcast so yeah let me know what you think but I'm thinking about having a bit of a break anyway but that's not for a while we've got a while for that to go I'm just giving you a little bit of preemptive warning but on to today's show. We've got Sophie Pierce. She's a wildlife TV researcher working for Countryfile, lots of other programmes. Absolute joy to talk to her. Here's the interview. So Sophie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. How are you doing? So great. It's sunny. It's good. It's meant to be sunny for the rest of the week. And um, yeah, so spirits are high. How about you? Yeah, I am. I'm good. I'm pretty good. I feel like before we start this, I should just mention I watched your um, your Beaver episode of the Crazy Nature Show. And I just want to know when are you getting your own TV show? Because it was the most bonkers thing I've ever seen and possibly the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I think it was a, a bit of an insight into my mind and how it works like crazy and OMG, what's going on? Yeah, that's so kind. Thank you. Um, <laughs> yes, I made that last year now. And um, I keep saying I need to make some more because they're just the funnest things. Um, series for kids. I think, as you say, the word bonkers is probably the best way to describe it. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm being polite. 
I'm trying to be polite, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, so there was, was a bit of um, Khalees. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard with um, dubbed rather than boys beavers. So, yeah. Um... <laughs> no, if, you, if you've not watched it, I'll put a link in the podcast to it so people can kind of just get this little glimpse into your mind. But it is, uh, it's phenomenal because... Doing that sort of thing is it's a knife edge of it working and it not working because it can kind of go off the rails. But you've I think you made it work. So <laughs> I think you did well there. Oh, thank you. Well, I definitely had a lot of fun whilst making it as well. Yeah, well, that's the main <laughs> thing. Yeah, it was quite funny. I roped in my mum, who is the most technophobe person, bless her, there is, but also the most um, willing to help and wonderful. And I'm like, mum, all you've got to do is press play, make sure it kind of looks in focus, make sure my head's in it as well. Like if I step too much to the side or whatever, and then I'll look at the footage and bless her. Sometimes I'm just <laughs> completely half off the screen, half not. But um, so it's always fun and games, even in the actual making of them as well. <laughs> that's it. Crediting your mum was a camera up. So why, you know, that's all good. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about kind of TV researching, because I know that's kind of what you've uh, been doing a lot of. And I think, is it just Countryfile? Have you done other TV researching? You've been on other shows as well. Yeah, I've been, been in um, the wildlife industry over like the last couple of years. And yeah. I've been really lucky that in some ways I've done lots of short for, um, sorry, lots of short contracts, which has meant I've got to do like short form. I've done the one show wildlife apps and then I've also done like some blue chip short form and then some more blue chippy stuff as well. So it's really been a, been a big old mix, which is which has been really exciting. And right now I'm doing more impact films or working towards creating more impact films, which I just am in my element. I love it. So for those that don't know, like what is a researcher? Because I feel like it's one of those things that you see on the TV credits, but not necessarily clear. Obviously, there's research involved. I guess most people could work that out. But what is a researcher? Well, I guess I'm going to start off and say I think it's quite possibly the best job ever because um, you get to spend all day researching, uh, in my case, my favourite thing, wildlife. It's, yeah, it's a good question because it is so super varied and one researcher role might be completely different to the next one that you go on to. So I guess starting from the beginning of like the production like the very concept of ideas you'll be working on sometimes finding wildlife stories then pitching them pitching them to your producer your um, exec producers and then maybe even helping or working on pitch decks to produce them and ideas to commissioners then you'll be making sizzles you might be helping writing scripts and researching like crazy every single thing about maybe one tiny little worm or you know something and you'll be researching um, like crazy loads of different animals and you'll be maybe talking to people living on the ground with a particular species you might be talking to scientists who are leading maybe some cutting edge academic research so it's really diverse and then not only you get that amazing really interesting desk-based job but you can also be out and about doing recce's doing filming I was on um, one show that suddenly were like hey I've seen you've done a bit of camera can you do some second camera and I was like okay let's go for it so sometimes you're shoved in at the deep end which is always fun and games but you learn so much and you're always surrounded by amazing people who Obviously, you're all working towards the same goal. So everyone's a te- it's good, great teamwork and everyone's so fascinating because um, often other researchers and producers and everything have done some amazing things. So, yeah, it's, you're always learning even from other people. And, yeah, you're essentially just creating amazing, not, sorry, I've 
definitely emphasize it's more TV, but you can be working on podcasts and other forms of content as well, which is great. So I guess the crux of what a researcher is, it's kind of a bit of everything, depending on what you work on. And the beauty of that is as well, you can specialize in, let's just say you go on a shoot and you do a bit of sound, you can then suddenly be like, hey, I want to do more of that. And a researcher allows you that opportunity to sort of try and test different things to see what, where you're beauty uh sorry where your interests really lie jack also, of all trades really yeah you know. <laughs> master of some <laughs> <laughs> i guess as well i think what's really amazing about being a researcher is when i finished my master's i did it in wildlife conservation and i am just like interested in i don't know like illegal wildlife trade rewilding ecology and you finish uni and you're kind of like well what do I want to specialize in? And I think this role of being a researcher really allows you to say, hey, one day or one production, I might be researching one thing. And then maybe a few months later, or even depending what you're working on, if it's short form, you might be then researching like something completely different. Like I was doing something with the Arctic melting one day and then the following week, I was researching bison in Poland. So it's also just so varied and so fun. Yeah. And I guess each show... It's completely different. So, like, say, like, the one show is going to be looking for something different than Countryfile. Like, I've always found one show is like, I don't know, a red kite staining someone's underpants is very one show, whereas <laughs> Countryfile would probably want something more, well, that kind of kind of country vibe to it, I guess, and a little bit more not not as not heavy science, just something that someone's kind of tucking into their roast, and then they look up and go, oh, that's nice, as they're kind of eating away, and then like the Watchers is more, I guess, more hardcore nature nerds really they all they've all got their own little flavors I guess yeah totally and that's what makes it so exciting especially if you do have short short contracts because you're then equally then thinking who's the audience what do I want to do what are the main things I need to know from the story how you frame and structure the story itself will be I guess yeah it will be completely different because for the one show you you might pull upon the element where it's a bit more silly and light-hearted but you might be more in-depth especially for the watches where you want to um get more like I'm going to say hardcore science in the mix where you can really because sometimes I think what watches is so great is that suddenly they're shoving in words which which kind of blow your mind but they explain it in such a really palatable and amazing way so I think knowing who your audience is is one of the most important probably the most important things um, when you're thinking and crafting your story and researching and really understanding does it does because one story might be great for something but does it actually fit for what you're working on so actually, Jack, the first time I ever spoke to you, I was working on this short form blue chip content and it was looking at female badass creatures of the animal kingdoms. Oh, of the animal kingdom. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, was that you? <laughs> that was me. Oh, that was sorry. Me. I mean, the names get lost in this sphere of time. But um, no, totally. This was. Well, go on then. I'll let you I'll let you say it. Go on. You go for it. Well, I called you up and I said, <laughs> do brown female trouts fake their own orgasms <laughs> yeah because yeah. I was like I, I, I was I kind of paused and sat on that email I thought well, it's it's a BBC email so it can't be a wind-up it's it's not like <laughs> one of my friends trying to take the piss uh, and then I looked into it and yeah they they do they do do it you know to get rid of the weedy the weedy guys and get the big uh <laughs> I think the best way to describe this like the the handsome big trout mm. you know <laughs> yeah, I, I, apparently I, it works yeah, yeah well I guess so with that 
that story I think would work for Spring Watch, but it definitely didn't work for what we were doing then. So it is that element of what might it work for? And it's a great story, but you've got to be very knowledgeable about what platform is going on, who's going to be watching it, what time people are going to be watching yeah. it, and all of that. Post watershed. So, yeah. It would be, wouldn't it? Orgasming <laughs> trout, what more do you need? But, and that, that kind of brings us on to like, what is it? what is a researcher looking for in a wildlife story then? And I, I, I guess we've kind of touched on it already, like depends on the show, but let's say that someone's like, right, uh, they're going to get in touch with you, Sophie, for, for a programme. What's the, what's the package? What are you after when someone's pitching ideas to you as a researcher? Yeah. So I guess um, the story is what drives it. Like it, the story is the most important thing and all good stories have great characters, uh, relatable characters, characters who evoke some sort of emotion within yourself there's got to be a setting a plot a story challenges and within these challenges that maybe a species or a particular character might go on there you want to be you want to take your audience on a journey and you want to help that it is that relatable character and going as an audience um, as a viewer going with that animal on that journey or really connecting your audience in some in some way and um, I guess also having some sort of form of resolution that the viewer and the animal can sort of feel like they both work towards as well really so connecting the audience and then I I guess as well with once you sort of nailed those defining things of what makes your story you can still play around with it and you can still structure your story in such a way that maybe there's like a whodunit or a uh, science mystery or how does this work type uh, structures so, so I guess one thing when I um a really good chat I had when I first came into the industry was with a BBC executive producer Tim Schoons and he really emphasized the importance of how influential your story structure can be and he'd worked on nature's weirdest events and he gave me this it won't work for all structures at all all stories but it just made me sort of really drilled in that once you've nailed everything the characters the the research you can still play around of your story so much so yeah nature's weirdest events he said this is a nine letter pearl of wisdom in how to do the story basically so he said the first one is the omg you draw people in you have that initial hook great for short form great for digital great for possibly younger audiences who are using these platforms then you've got the wtf which is omg how on earth is this even possible what is going on and you're still really rolling with this idea and you're just sitting on the edge of your seat like tell me more and then you've got the nfw no freaking way where you've got some revelationary thing that blows your mind you might have a solution a, a um not just a solution but a oh shit sorry can i say that again um the <laughs> you can NF- swear in this it's fine <laughs> you can say what you like it's an, ad, okay. it's, an ad, it's an adult podcast go nuts <laughs> is it oh yeah. i did know that i heard some swearing ones in previous ones there is I just, yeah um, my mum might be listening <laughs> okay all right then we'll keep it we'll keep it clean <laughs> <laughs> so you got the nfw no freaking way which is a revelationary solution which might blow your mind and you're suddenly you've gone on this amazing journey and you're you're constantly pushed and pushed emotionally to the edge of your edge of your seat and you're thinking whoa anyway so yeah I just think that's one really fun way of thinking that even if you've got the story there's a really great way of thinking how to still tell your story <laughs> I was also going to say as well when 
when I guess thinking about the story structure and actually how everything's coming together, again, Tim Schoons told me that try your piece without music, try your piece without visuals, with just the narration, and really play with just taking one element away so that you can really focus on the remaining elements or even just be inspired to be like, hey, that actually looks really good and feels much more dramatic or more appealing than than actually having all the different elements together. So I think it's just playing and being creative and being fun with with your stories. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And I I guess from your point of view as well, you want to, well, as someone who's, who's the pitchy pitching to you, I always try and think, make your life as easy as possible. So I'll just try and get... We love that. Yeah, I know. I bet you do. So, uh, (laughs) you know, what what it is, where it's happening, when it's happening, how it's happening. uh, If I've got any footage I've already shot to give you an idea of what it is, because I guess when you're looking for leads or maybe when you're talking to people, it could be like someone could ring you. I've got this amazing story and you you have to come and do this. And then you've got to work out whether they're being enthusiastic or, or embellishing the truth a little bit, I guess. Whereas if you can see a bit of footage or... Uh, or a photo or something, you've got a little bit more to go on because you must get so many false leads or, I don't know, people getting a bit too keen and it's like, oh, this is not going to happen. Yeah, and everyone is passionate about what they're working on and what their story is. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes like a scientist might talk to you and be like, this is going to be the best thing I really need to show. And when you actually think about it, it's like actually on TV, Sadly, this could be quite dull. For example, um, what what is it? The art. There's an Arctic the squirrel that lives in the Arctic, and it hibernates and it stops its um, heart beating. And there's some really amazing science behind it. I'm not too sure off the top of my head. I can't remember exactly. This was a few years ago. But then when you think about it, for that production anyway, it just didn't really work. But it's, it's not, still it's not very cinematic, is it? No, no. Yeah. I mean, I mean you can tell the story, the pre-story, the post-story. But really, the big thing we wanted for for this production was just, you know, something super cool, super animals defying biology. But then so that story would have been great if it was like, oh, cute little squirrel out for the day. He's getting ready, preparing for winter. OMG, he does this thing. But you can't base a whole story on his his little heartbeat stopping or, you know, getting to super cold temperatures or you know something like that. So it's interesting. It's really cool when. And it's nice that actually people think, hey, I'm going to call out the BBC with my amazing story because this is, this is you know, people passionate wanting to share. Sometimes they dedicate their whole life to. So yeah. it's cool. Yeah, no, definitely. And I've, I mean, I, I would, I, I guess I do research without thinking about it. I wouldn't really call myself a researcher, but I, I will get people messaging me saying, oh, you should come and film this or come and have a look at this. And there have been times where I've travelled not too far, but still out of my way a little bit. I mean, I've, I've, I've arrived and been like, all oh, right, this is it, is it? And it's not quite, you know, I mean, wildlife is is never on cue anyway, but it can be a little bit frustrating sometimes. But hey-ho, that's uh, that's what it is. is. Is there anything that's pointless sending over? Is there anything there you're just like, there's no point doing that? Or, or do you just kind of make that call when, when it gets sent in? Yeah, I think making the call when it gets sent in. Then also, if something really doesn't work for one production, I either pocket it in my head or it on a piece of paper or something because I'm like hey actually why can't this be a really good fit for I don't know country file or the one show or something yeah. so it's also about like luckily because I have worked on lots of short for or sorry short contracts um I feel like I've got nice like little connections even or just to be like hey do you think this story might fit somewhere because maybe it does it might not be for what you want specifically 
capacity for that production, but it might be great somewhere else. So I'd say there's no, never anything pointless sending in. And no. even sometimes somebody might send in an idea and it just sparks sparks like a waterfall of research that you then go and find something else that's um, absolutely a great fit and works super well for whatever you're going on, whatever you're working on. So yeah, yeah. nothing is pointless. <laughs> no, no, definitely. The only thing I've found is when uh, you might send something in that, oh, we've just done that. But obviously you're, you're not going to know that when you've sent it in, aren't you? But I've had a few times where I've got, oh, this is a great idea. And they're like, oh no, we've literally just sent that. Like, oh, bugger. So, but that's fair enough. Because like you say, it can be used elsewhere or you can sit on it. I mean, I've had times where I've, I've pitched an idea and they've said, oh, oh no, we're not going to use that or we're not interested at the minute. And then I've just waited three or four years and pitched the same idea again. And they go, oh yeah, that's great. So sometimes it just depends who you're pitching it to, when you pitch it, how you pitch it. Maybe it needs a bit of tweaking. I mean, I did Winter Watch, this what, last winter, obviously, I guess. Um, <laughs> that was a, a bait ball in, in Rutland Water. And I've been, I've been trying to get that on TV for six years. And just for one reason or another, it just didn't quite work. And then this year. So I would say uh, if you are someone who is pitching an idea, just because someone says no or it's not quite right, that doesn't mean it's a bad idea. It just means maybe you've got to wait for the right time or or tweak it a little bit. Totally, totally yeah. agree with that. And um, yeah, it's all about timing with everything, even when like you think about when you want to deliver your show production to have the greatest impact as well. So timing is key. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you've worked on all these different programmes. What's the most interesting story you've come across? I mean, I guess it's all relative, but what have, what have you come across and you've been like, that's blown my socks off? Just a really funny story I've come across, which did blow my mind, was um, clownfish. So we all know Finding Nemo, I'd imagine. And when little baby Nemo's mum gets killed, he then is just left with his dad. And then he obviously loses his dad and eventually finds him again. And that's the crux of the story. But in reality, <laughs> the dad would have actually turned into the mum because in their little clownfish society that's it's led by the big female mama and when she goes there's um often if a pecking order hasn't already been established there might be a few squabbles and fights within the um the biggest fish which might be um most closely related or most close in size and then <laughs> the the dad turns into the mum and obviously if that was on a pixar movie to little children it would be very weird so I totally understand why they've done it and kept the dad as the dad but it um it did just blow my mind you know and yeah. um, we wanted to um create the story about it um it just didn't work out but oh my gosh I thought that would have been quite a good thing to show so with you researching obviously a lot of it is sort of behind a desk but you do get to go on location as well so is there anywhere that sticks out that you've traveled to you're like oh that was pretty pretty cool to work in this place so I've never done lots of big international travel because, you know, when somebody might ask that question, they might be like, oh, yeah, I've been to an amazing place. But you know what? I've stored so many great shoots around the UK and um, I've worked on some really fun rewilding stories, some like angel shark story for Country File, even though I guess people want to hear someone trekking to the deep depths of <laughs> a Congolese jungle. I've had wonderful times on the Limp Peninsula, um, down in Cornwall, in Nottinghamshire. Um, yeah. So and so I really, really, really like knowing when I'm working on a story that I think has really big conservation value and is gonna be enlightening people and informing them. So there's this one guy called Derek Gow who's like the waterfall, waterfall breeder and we filmed yeah. with him. Yeah, and yeah. he's amazing and he's just he 
he takes no shit. He is no. this guy who I think is literally going to lead the way in within the UK with rewilding species back to how they should be and where they should be. Just absolutely amazing work. We filmed the wildcats he has there. He also rescued some injured storks from Poland. And um, part of the actual story we were filming was simply just moving the injured ones from their massive, um, what do you call a big birdcage? But like massive, Avery, massive. like an Avery. Avery, yeah. yeah. <laughs> can think of the word then. Moving them from into their own Avery away from like the bully, the bully boy stalks. So, and hopefully in, I can't remember exactly, it was like two years it's maybe planned for stalks to be released. Um, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. It was last yeah. year, so it might have been next year. But I was just so excited to meet him, to hear all his like plans. And he's actually doing conservation. And there are so many things where obviously I get it. You have to pass things through law and do all these tests and environmental controls. But he's he's doing that and he's building a really compelling case to actually make change. And you know what? I think it was the best uh, shoots that I've done in a really long time. Um, it was so good and just made me feel so happy that yeah. there are people out there who are doing great things when there's so much doom and gloom in the conservation world. Yeah, he's a great... Uh, I've only met him once briefly. He reminded me of a giant water vole, Derek. He's sort of got that frame uh, frame about him. But yeah, he's a lovely uh, a lovely guy. And I, I completely agree with you. It's... Um, it's easy. whenever you tell someone you work in wildlife TV, they immediately think, "Oh, you go to the Amazon, or you go to wherever, somewhere far and wide." But I mean, I've only ever really I've done a couple of jobs abroad, but not many. But I'd rather work in the UK. There's so many stories in the UK and amazing things. So couldn't agree with you more. I think we've got so much on our doorstep. Yeah, totally. And it's um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm excited for whatever my future may hold. But um. I just think there's also that added element of surprise as well. Also, on that note of Derek looking like a waterfall, I um I did also this wasn't for um wildlife film in particular, but it was um a more commercial agricultural farming company that I worked at before. And um we went to film at this bee um, bee uh center in somewhere in Germany, and there was like 50 to 50 to 70 people working there they all looked like bees. I'm not even joking. And they even joked about it themselves. Like the main guy, he was like big big bumblebee there was another little lady she honestly she looked like the solitary bee and it was just so funny I was like we should be doing this film on the people here like and they loved it they joked about it and it was just <laughs> they said once you work with bees so much you you turn into a bee you become one say. you become one now I'm, yeah. I'm working on my fish whiskers I get them in my beard I think that's You're getting just, there yeah it's part of the job you just turn into the animal you work with that must be uh must be it are there any any frustrating aspects of the job because I know it's something that you love to do but there must be bits that make you kind of grind grind your teeth a little bit yeah totally for me so I guess for me the three key success measures that are communicated within productions is um, first of all the money a commission brings in and it's viewing figures and then it's awards but I am personally and like working committed to really trying to push the next or the biggest what I think the biggest success measure should be is the impact that it can have um, like I want to know like Blue Planet 2 it had such a great impact on the environment it was um, like, like the Blue could... Planet 2 effect wasn't it they kind of called yeah. it because it was like um what did they was it plastic they kind of pushed that was one of the, the straw thing wasn't it and that yeah, did have impact yeah and like UK government pledged like over 60 million to fight ocean plastics so many bands across, or big bands across the EU with single-use plastics and like Iceland and supermarket um committed to ban all plastic packaging by 2023 like there was such a big effect and even um like the ivory game as well China declared to ban 
um, the ivory trade only two months after um, the global launch date of the film. So I want to know more about this. Like what impact has other productions have and how can we measure it? And how can we really, when we're thinking and um, crafting our productions and shows and series or whatever, how can we sort of think about working with local communities on the ground to push um, impact or to learn from them and to um, yeah really create collaborations to actually you know really push towards this and conservation before like a few years ago might have been seen like the doom and gloom and commissioners didn't really want that and they wanted pretty wildlife stories astonishing behaviors and um, pretty visuals but there is a first I've read so many reports that say like audience want to see animals and the people working alongside them and living alongside them and they want to learn also about how the solutions one can do themselves to have a more green impact and so yeah I really think that it should become the language of how we talk about films we should be thinking like we're the ones showcasing how amazing and beautiful this earth is and I understand we've got to connect and empathize to be compelled to spark and create action but I also think that we have a duty as well to be thinking much more strongly and hopefully commissioning much more shows that can, you know, talk about really pressing issues because we're, we're in trouble, you know, so let's yeah. do it. Let's actually get on it and make some waves. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess uh, Netflix is kind of going down more that route, isn't it? They, they, I know they do do kind of blue chip stuff, but like, uh, what was the recent one? Seaspiracy and things like that, which I know is uh, without going into that whole kettle of fish, if you excuse the pun, <laughs> was not perfect, but it did at least get people talking. That's the thing. It's, um, yeah, as you say, let's not go down it, but it is yeah. being able to spark <laughs> that talk. And even like my little niece who's 10 watched it and she said, Oh my gosh, I don't want to eat fish ever again. And I spoke to her the other day and so far she's stuck with it. She said she had a bit of a moment, but I'm like, girl, you're still growing. Like you can make your decisions. It's you'll, you don't have to, even if you just eat less fish, it's going to be good for the environment yeah. and it's just yeah, being yeah. aware. So I think definitely I want to see more of these topics that aren't so sexy, like soil health. I think kiss the ground on Netflix did um, was really amazing bringing, um, oh, what was he called? Woody, Woody Harrison. I think, um, uh... Oh, yeah, really good. I think okay. I've not seen that one. Oh, it's just great. It made me feel really um positive and informed and just wanting to do more to be engaged in learning more about soil health and how I can help in my little garden and things like that. So yeah, I just thought it was such a positive and great show. And I also just think regenerative agriculture is again unsexy, but it's something that's yeah, on TV, we need to think about how to make these seemingly quite boring or intricate topics into something fabulous that connects um somebody that might actually really like watching EastEnders or you yeah. know yeah, um, yeah. maybe not necessarily go to an environmental documentary so that's also a challenge and it's frustrating because it's how do we do that but I think that's also this exciting turning point where there's a lot I'm having a lot of discussions with people in the industry about thinking about to think about creative ways in engaging more people tackling in-depth issues which are complex but need to be told yeah no um, definitely that makes makes a lot of sense and I guess it's when it's been popular recently to get actors like or celebrities like you well, like you mentioned Woody Harrison like because people might might not necessarily be thrilled about soil but then oh Woody Harrison's doing it okay I'll give it a listen and then it might just 
get that spark that hopefully makes them think about some of the things to do with it, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I guess as well um, on the more frustrating aspects with along the impact line is actually I get why we aren't doing so much of it in terms of measuring and reporting because it is really hard to measure impact in films and there's no single method and um, there's no one framework and there's loads of things to think about and our impact that we can have might not be uh, measurable now or after like a few months after someone's watched um, a show but actually years down the line they might think oh hey that amazing doc on baby chimp rescue has actually made me really want to go and volunteer and um you know spend my time actually helping with their um conservation or sorry working to save the species so impact is so important and something i really want to see being pushed and changed and leading the way in which we talk about films but um i get that it's challenging and we um have a big um hill to climb but it's fine because we'll do it (laughs) yeah i guess as well it's uh it's hard like how much carrot and how much stick do you have because you you need those kind of interesting visuals to get people on board but then also you want to try and hit that message home so i know it is a it's a very fine balance isn't it of uh you want to get the message across but you don't want to be too doom and gloom because you know Although it's true, it's depressing, but at the same time, that those stories kind of need to be told. We need to talk about this because otherwise we're just mm-hmm. putting our heads in the ground, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. totally. And I think um, as well, um, there is a push to get these messages even just filtered into the productions like Hollyoaks and um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mainstream productions. So it's there is this groundswell being created. Well, it's been, been created for the last however many years, but... Um, people are talking about it more and so we're getting more awareness and so um it's an exciting time yeah no that makes a lot of, a lot of sense so w- with you being a researcher then is that a sort of job where it's a step up to something else or is it something that someone can just make a, a career out of because i i've always seen it as like a like i don't know say you've got like a runner then you've got a researcher then you've maybe got like an assistant producer etc or is it something you'd stay put with um I think the most amazing thing about being a researcher which I guess I've alluded to is because you can do lots of different things so I'm excited in the next few years to maybe get more into sound and maybe maybe I might think hey let's let's do like be more of a sound recorder I don't think exactly that's where exactly I want to go but like as a researcher you have the opportunity I think as well yeah most people um start as a runner um there's definitely some people that go straight in as a researcher actually talking to people it's quite interesting to see that lots of people have different routes in or um like for example i um alluded to earlier i did like conservation masters did lots of work with conservation charities then started this um uh, agricultural media working with them um on and off for a long time then went back to conservation and so my my way in was like and then at the side i was still emailing wildlife production companies updating them what I was doing and it took like two years to get into it um some people can go straight in as a runner and yeah the timing's good and they've got good credentials to do that so it is really I guess if you if any message to somebody looking in looking to get into the industry it's first of all not giving up hope not thinking oh my gosh why are they not like maybe you've just finished your uni and you've got all really good work experience and then you don't get this runner job but it's it's a really competitive industry. It's hard to get into. So many people want it. And it might not be, it's probably not a reflection on you. It's just that person might be in the right place at the right time. 
but it's yeah holding faith and being persistent as well keep on emailing because you're only going to keep on getting more work experience in different aspects which can be relatable to what um someone as a researcher would do and then yeah say yes to every opportunity say yes to holding a camera if you can or if you don't if you can't um you know borrow someone's camera try using a phone because well again what we got to we said earlier is story is so important and if you can even just show potential employees that you're able to create a short video using your iPhone then it's it's so valuable to also just show you're really committed so yeah you can there is this sort of general hierarchy that you start as a runner go to junior researcher then researcher then AP which is assistant producer producer and then up to executive producer and then series producer but it definitely in the beginning stages it's a it's kind of a not free for all but like it's um it is definitely not one singular route and and yeah I know some people that went straight in as researcher so there's yeah there's definitely just keep working on what you're doing keep trying to do as much relatable things as possible and or even just going out um taking videos of wildlife um or not wildlife just in practicing your skills um I know somebody did lots of surf photography and then they got into um the wildlife industry that way so so I guess really there's there's no like uh hard fast route to do it everyone's going to come at it from different ways and that's not necessarily right or wrong it's just going to be down to your individual choices yeah totally um just think of all the people I've met I've known um some people have done a journalism degree um it is she is a researcher in wildlife tv but I know there's been a few people that have done a journalism degree and then um employers want you to do maybe um zoology or environmental geography or then specialize in conservation if you were to then have something which is slightly not so biology wildlife focused uh, like like journalism she also has lots of other stuff going on like she's done lots of wildlife and conservation stuff so maybe that's where that then wildlife um love has been brought in and mashed together so she's to do she's now a researcher so yeah there's definitely no hard and fast route but it's about just trying to be particularly in your initial stages of getting into the industry just like across lots of different things or interested maybe in a few things and really propelling your uh skills in that area yeah but definitely holding faith because <laughs> yeah really really competitive to get into i think yeah i get i mean wildlife tv is like that for a lot of things i guess but just gotta keep going and you kind of touched on it earlier as well but i guess it is important to make your own content and you you do do that so what kind of stories is it that you want to tell like what are you looking for whether it's your a crazy wildlife show or anything in general like what what sort of things are you looking to talk about you know personally I really like making kids tv so I've got a few ideas for some more series I think that I'm an auntie of to four and um so sometimes I test my ideas on the little ones and um they're like yeah so that's so cool um and then if you get a giggle it's good um but yeah I just find kids tv is really fun you can be creative you can be stupid and yet you know that you want to have these really sound scientific or biological um pieces that you really package up in a really fun way so for me that element of creativity is just um wonderful and i love it and those are the stories that i want to tell like at the side of my 
more impact conservation work. Because also it's a nice relief if you're suddenly thinking, oh, hey, I'm going to fit this Sean Kingston song into, um, what was that? I think that was the Beaver video, you know? Yeah. It's just, how did that come in my mind? Oh, that was it. It was like, sleep all day and party all night. That one um, yeah. about beavers yeah. just working. Yes, all yeah, night yeah, long. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, those are the stories. I think my my brain just flows with naturally and suddenly I'll be lying in bed and I'm like hey that's a cool thing to do like that's a bit silly to stand on the surfboard and then get um my neighbor who has a what is it a wind machine like for blowing and picking up leaves or getting leaves away and he's there putting leaves in front of the blower so it looks like I'm flying in the sky um so yeah uh, I like um in my spare time making those silly videos I think as well having younger children in my family um, has made me more well definitely obviously the younger generation it's your world we want to get you like into and in, engrossed um, with environmental issues and I think it's a really good um, founding way to excite young children about about the natural world so with because um, <laughs> I know with presenting and particularly kids tv presenting there is this kind of extrovert isn't there like people have to really kind of dig deep and and pull it out and like my um so originally I didn't want to be a presenter and then I I gave, I wanted to be one and, and no one wanted me. So I thought, okay, that's fine. And then Countryfile asked me. So it's sort of a weird way of events of how it's kind of come about. And I remember, um, I don't know if you'd call it a float, you know, at the beginning of the show where they go, and this week, so-and-so's in this place and that you might see the presenter going like, oh, and I'm here doing this or whatever. I don't know what you call that bit, but I was doing a shoot, I don't know, three or four years ago now. And they said, right, Jack, we want you to go in the river stand uh, sit in the river up to your neck and we want to go in and you go and this week uh you're looking for fish in the river or whatever or something like that and I went yeah all right then I can do that so I went sat in the river up to my neck and they said right we're, we're filming I went, and this week I'm uh, looking for fish in the river and they were like <laughs> okay that's great but can you give it a bit more oomph and I was just like that's pretty much as enthusiastic as I'm gonna be <laughs> like, like it's just, I'm not a uh, I'm just a very dry, not an extrovert person. I can be passionate about things, but I can't dial it to 11 in the same way that other people do that. And I think that's great, the people that can do it like that, but I'm fairly clean cut. And in the end, they didn't They mm -hmm. didn't use that. They just, they, I think they just voice over. They use someone else and they're like, oh, and Jack's in the river having a whale of a time. And just maybe me <laughs> walking down the river. So I was like, oh, okay, all right, that's what you want. But um, I just found that quite funny. So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, and especially as I've only um been on the camera when, as I say, my mum's pressing the play button. But yeah. I've been on like the researcher side where you've got the producer and the cameraman being like, no, say it slightly differently in a nice way. Uh, yeah. No, yeah, change yeah. this, change that. And there's lots of things that you have to think about. And the producer has the exact sort of tone and way that they want it to be said, fitting with, as you say, the rest of the programme. But yeah, I can imagine, only imagine anyway, it must, what well, I'd find it may be quite daunting with suddenly a big old film crew. Um, yeah, <laughs> well, that's the, the nice thing. I, I, it sounds a horrible thing to say. The nice thing about the pandemic is that um, <laughs> that because Country Files started doing these sort of solo uh, cameraman diary pieces, so they'd send up the cameraman or camerawoman, whoever, to go and film on their own. And they'd literally be filming themselves. So I didn't have anyone tell me what to do. So it was lovely. So I could do exactly how I wanted. And they didn't have a choice but to do my uh, monotone, depre not depressing, but just not overly enthusiastic way of doing it. But still engaging, I should add. Uh, <laughs> and it seems to work because they asked me back. So they couldn't have been that upset. So 
It must work. Yeah. So. There you go. But if you look at, say, someone like Chris Packham, not that I'm comparing myself to Chris, but he isn't too shouty, but he still has a fantastic way of getting the point across and being enthusiastic about it. So I don't think you necessarily have to be like that. Uh, sorry, I'll let you uh, do your point as well. Oh, no, I was simply just going to say some of the country file shows that I worked on. I messaged you. I was like, yes, amazing piece on frogs and Twitter. What was the Twitter one? There was something great. <laughs> the Twitter. Oh, yeah. Uh, was it like Frog Orgy or something like that? I can't remember. <laughs> what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> something great and (laughs) really um, I remember you just said it in almost like an almost serious deadpan way in that one bit and I was like this is great yeah (laughs) and then you had a chuckle about it (laughs) the the worst thing you can do I found though was um if you have done it and then and then google what people are saying because it's sort of like I mean most people are fairly positive but there's always somebody who just has to try and twist country file has some some real divisive people that watch it like some people really don't like it. You're like, if you're that passionate about not liking it, why are you contributing to the viewing figures every week? You know? Yeah, yeah. No matter what you do, people like to nitpick and complain. Oh, and sometimes oh, it's even about like the presenter's outfits, yeah. which were perfectly fine and actually really practical. But if somebody took a dislike to that, it was, I'm going to go to Twitter and complain about it, which yeah. is, I just find quite um, crazy. And you should have better better things to do with your time <laughs> well you'd hope so wouldn't you but yeah i mean because I'm, I'm fairly thick-skinned so some of it i find quite funny like so what one of them was saying I was, I was a frog voyeur just sort of sat watching these frogs mating and just breathing in the ambience of it and i was like well i'm filming them that's the point but i don't know it's funny <laughs> it is funny um hey anyway, we'll, we'll end on this last question so do you think it's important to make your own content then because obviously it's great to work with organizations like the bbc but they obviously have a set way of doing things whereas a little bit like we've been talking about when you do it yourself there's almost a freedom to do what you want to do yeah I think why not like it's it's meant that when I first got my camera I just wanted to go out try learn from my own mistakes chat with friends who'd been filming for ages and really just try and learn how to do more technical side of things which when if I then am on a shoot and they're like hey so pick up this camera I at least have some confidence knowing that okay I can do this 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 with relative ease but I know then to say to the producer um, or the, the the cameraman that I might be not so confident with this so you're not then at the moment suddenly being like oh bugger like yeah this is the one time to shoot whatever you're filming um so so for me it's definitely given me more confidence and it's something that in an interview I can I can say um I've tried this I've actually really enjoyed editing I've really enjoyed you know picking just even like picking up the microphone and you know just suddenly realizing oh you can't put it there because your hair is going to bustle in the way and it's little things that you don't actually think about until you actually do it and yeah as I I guess I said earlier like picking up your phone having go of that I also um, didn't have a tripod for ages and I was there using my dad's stepladder and you know what a stepladder is a crap tripod because the steps are slightly angled and so I'm there popping up with books trying to make it more level and it then just also then when you do actually have some good equipment it's like oh this is, this is better <laughs> so, a tripod is so much better than a stepladder this is luxury <laughs> <laughs> so honestly as well like because it is competitive industry and you may surprise yourself you may suddenly take some great pictures and be like oh hey like or and even trying out um 
macro as well I've like given it a go to and it's always something that I'm like oh I just want to persevere a little bit more with and I think definitely if you can make your own content and if you can't actually make something visual why can't you go out and write about it because a big aspect of the filmmaking process is writing pictures it's writing scripts it's communicating um your research in like also quite succinct but important one-liners of what um should be told or what are the headline facts so even if you you really feel like your phone is rubbish and and you haven't got access to anything just pick up a pen and paper and just get writing and get those creative juices flowing you know um because that's a really valuable skill um to have so definitely create your own content and it's fun it's so fun (laughs) yes that's a big one to say as well and then you're obviously with our industry you're out somewhere beautiful um hopefully looking at something amazing hopefully at least finding or getting a glimpse of it at least some point um I've gone to see beavers a few times um the first like year trying to see them and I didn't see them for ages well so I didn't realize that I was going to the wrong place but it's those Uh, things of like learning field craft (laughs) yeah no definitely definitely no, I think that yeah. all makes complete sense. You know, it's not, it's certainly not going to hurt, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, crack on and get on with your own your own stuff. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, Sophie, and learning a little bit what goes behind being a, a TV researcher. Oh, it's been so fun, Jack. I hopefully um, we'll be calling you up with some another like, hey, does this animal have some weird mental orgy or something? <laughs> That's all I'm going to be known for now, the fish orgy man or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, animal orgies. There probably is a program there, but I'm not sure if I'd want to uh, work uh, on that. Mate, I don't know. Work is work. Who, who can do it? <laughs> on, that no- on that note, on animal orgy, on we'll end it. But look, cheers. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jack. Bye. Sophie is an absolute force of nature and her enthusiasm and just pure joy just bursts out through that interview. So that was absolutely fantastic to uh, to talk to her. And it was a genuine surprise. Like my, my memory's awful, but I didn't realise that we had spoke about uh, brown trout fake orgasming, which, you know, is a conversation you'd want to have with anyone really, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. If you're not already, do follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are titbearded. On Facebook, it's the Bearded Tits Podcast. And also, I never really plug my own social media, as I assume you're probably already following it. But if you're not, uh, I'm Jack Perks Photo, uh, Fish Twitcher on Instagram, and Jack Perks Photo on Twitter as well. Next week, I've got Dave Hamilton on, and we are going to be talking about foraging. He's a foraging expert. We're going to learn what you can eat, what you can't eat, what to do if you've eaten something you shouldn't eat. It's going to be really interesting to chat to him. This has been the Bearded Tits Podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next week. Cheers.